Hi, friends. So on Easter Sunday morning, we did not have our typical setup as we were outside, and so the sermon was not recorded. And a few of you had reached out asking if it could be recorded or if you could get it. So I'm here in my office recording the Easter morning service for you. This is from Matthew 28, 1 through 10, the Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to St. Matthew. After the Sabbath, at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and, going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning. His clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples he has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb afraid yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. The gospel of our Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. At last, we have come to Easter morning. This, friends, is a day of great rejoicing and celebration. This is a time for dancing and singing. Not simply because you can eat your chocolates or drink your wine again, either. Rather, today we celebrate the very basis of all reality and being, the very foundation of our hope and the truth by which all other truths are weighed and the reality by which all other realities are judged. Jesus Christ, once dead, is risen. He is risen indeed. Each week, as a church, we confess the mystery of our faith. Christ has died, Christ is risen, Christ will come again. Notice that we do not say that Christ was risen. That is the truth of Lazarus, not the truth of Jesus. Lazarus, some 2,000 years ago, was risen from the dead. The resurrection of Lazarus was a historical event which happened in time. The resurrection of Jesus however, is a current reality because his resurrection happened to time. Christ is risen. And because Christ is risen, we have hope in the face of despair. We have possibility in the face of impossibility. Because Jesus is risen, we have nothing left to fear. Now, our gospel text starts in the dark. It is the evening of the Sabbath, which, if we're thinking in terms of Jewish time, means post-sunset, Saturday evening, sometime between 6 and 9 p.m. Or if we're thinking Roman time, was pre-sunrise Sunday morning, somewhere between 3 and 6 a.m. Whichever time we choose, the women have traveled through the dark of the night to go to a tomb. This sounds like a terrible and frightening idea. 
But these are bold women. Frightened or not, they made the journey. These same women, we should remember, stayed at the cross when everyone else, which is to say all the men, fled in fear. And here, in the dark journey towards the tomb, the men are absent again, but not the Marys. For a long time, and I mean a really long time, we have assumed that the words Mary Magdalene referred to a woman named Mary who was from Magdala. Recent scholarship, however, has argued that Magdala is not a place at all, but a title. In Aramaic, the word Magdala means tower. If it is true that this is a title, and I believe it is, we have two pillars in the New Testament who made true confessions of who Jesus was, Peter the Rock and Mary the Tower. But again, let it be known that Peter is nowhere to be found here. Mary the Tower and the other Mary, however, journeyed through the dark to get to the tomb of the one they loved. Now, a few of the church fathers were really taken with the first verse in Matthew 28. How could it be that it was in the evening towards the dawn, they asked? How could it be both the end of the Sabbath, which is to say night, but also the dawn of the day? Taking this to be Roman time instead of Jewish time solves the problem for the most part. But maybe this isn't a problem to be solved, but a mystery to behold As we journey through Holy Week, we often talk about what happened to Jesus. But in actual fact, as Chris Green, drawing on the wisdom of the Church Fathers, reminds us, nothing happens to God. Rather, God happens to all things. St. Maximus of Turin teaches us this when he speaks of the baptism of Jesus. Christ is baptized not to be made holy by the water, he writes, but to make the water holy, and by his cleansing to purify the waters which he touched. The waters don't purify Jesus, they are purified by Jesus. The woman with the issue of blood came and touched Jesus' clothes, as you might recall. Normally, this would have made the person touched ceremonially unclean, but it works in reverse with Jesus. Instead of him becoming unclean, she became clean because Jesus happened to her. And so here, in the first verse of Matthew 28, it is somehow after the Sabbath, which is to say the night of the Sabbath, but also the dawn of the first day. How can this be? St. Peter Chrysologus writes, In the evening toward the dawn, behold, with the Lord's resurrection, the evening does not grow dark, it becomes light. What was normally the beginning of night now becomes the break of day, even as mortality is transformed into immortality, corruption into incorruption, and flesh into the word of God. The darkness is transformed into light so that the night itself rejoices that it did not die but is transmuted. In other words, the resurrection of Jesus happened to the night and it became light. And so here, these bold women journey toward the tomb. And we're told this, there was a violent earthquake for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. 
His appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. Last week, we read that the city shook when Jesus rode through on his borrowed little donkey. On Friday, when Jesus died, Matthew records, And when Jesus had cried out in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook. The rocks split. And now here, the angel of the Lord came, and his appearance was like lightning, and his clothes white as snow, and the guards, those put there to uphold the appearance of the power of the empire, those meant to intimidate anyone looking for Jesus, those guards shook And not only did they shake, they became like dead men. The women, however, were apparently still standing. What caused these men to fall while the women remained on their feet? During Lent, we have learned about the great reversals that happened. Those who think that they can see are told that they are blind, while those who acknowledge their blindness are made to see. Those who think that they know leave unknowing. And here, at the resurrection, we find a similar thing, but at an even deeper level. Now, if we're honest, most of us believe that if we just had more time or money or notoriety, we could really live the life we wanted. We probably wouldn't put it that way because we're good spiritual people, after all. The kind of people who like reposting Jim Carrey, talking about how money and fame didn't buy him happiness. But a bit more money and a few more trips surely wouldn't hurt. We're tempted to think that we are missing out on life. Not only that, we're convinced that the only way that we can see real change is if we become powerful people in the world. And that, of course, is how change happens. But we need to pay attention to the contrast between these armed authorities and these women. The women stood and did not fall down as dead. Regarding the guards, however, Stanley Harvus writes that they became like dead men indicates the transformation that Jesus' resurrection has affected. Those who thought they were alive now discovered what they took for life is death. All reality and truth, as I said a moment ago, are being judged by the resurrection. Life and death are being judged by the resurrection of Jesus. So the women remain standing near the angel who removed the stone, and it's here that we're tempted to misunderstand something crucial. The stone was not rolled away for Jesus, friends, but for us. Jesus didn't need help escaping the tomb or rising from the dead. The stone was rolled away not so that Jesus could rise, but so that our faith could rise. The rolling away of the stone was an act of grace precisely because we are so slow to believe. But with the guards on the ground as though dead, the women at the mouth of the tomb are instructed not to be afraid and are invited to come into the tomb for themselves. The angel says, come and see the place where he lay. They are invited to see the emptiness of the tomb. But here is a truth on this Easter morning and forevermore. That emptiness was transformed into fullness. The empty space that the women saw spoke the very thing that the angel put to words. He is not here. 
Now, if I went to find you and was told by someone, I'm sorry, they're not there, your empty office or your empty seat would speak of a void. But it is the exact opposite with Jesus. The emptiness itself has become a testimony of the resurrection. No longer blank space or dead space or a space for decay. The emptiness of the tomb is now full of the message of resurrection. The tomb became a womb and Jesus has come forth and nothing, not even the empty space, has been left unchanged. Jesus has descended to the very depths, but has been raised and has raised up all with him. Jesus has happened to all things, even death itself. There is nothing left to fear. We sometimes speak as places as God-forsaken. Sisters and brothers, there is no place that is God-forsaken. Maybe church-forsaken, but not God-forsaken, because Jesus has happened to every square inch of the cosmos. Even the darkest places were buried with him and are being raised to newness of life. And so the women who were invited to come and see the tomb are now instructed to go They are to go quickly and tell the disciples the message of resurrection. And so these women become our first preachers, the first entrusted with the message of the resurrection. And so they go. And the emptiness of the tomb continues to fill these women, not with dread and emptiness, but with the fullness of all hope, hope beyond hope, hope beyond what they or we even knew to hope for. And what does this hope feel like? Fear and joy mixed together. Eugene Peterson once described the fear of the Lord as fear with the scary element deleted. And so, he tells us, it is often accompanied by the reassuring fear not. If you really encounter the presence of the Lord, it is not without a feeling of fear, but it's not a frightening fear. It is a fear mixed with joy and accompanied with the words, do not be afraid. Francis Spuford explains the feeling well when he says that it's more like the fear you might feel for an overwhelming landscape where the palpable bigness around you makes it clear you are amidst something that does not operate within your limits. This is what it feels like when God happens to fear The scary stuff is removed and you realize something beyond what we can grasp or imagine is afoot. And yet, the women do grasp Jesus. They do not understand him. But they are suddenly met by Jesus and at his greeting, they fell down, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. The guards fell down as if dead. But this is what it looks like to fall down and to live, to grasp the feet of Jesus and worship him. Oh, that we would respond to the voice of the Lord with worship like this. Jesus tells them the same thing that the angel of the Lord told them. Do not be afraid. And then he officially commissions these women to be bearers of the gospel to the men. Go and tell my brothers. Sisters and brothers, Hear this, Jesus has been raised and has happened to all things. Many times we in the church are concerned with what we should do with this or that situation, and this of course is important and as it should be, but Easter is not that. I've been so moved by Karl Rahner's words this week. 
He writes, Easter tells us that God has done something, God himself, and his action has not merely gently touched the heart of a man here or there so that they tremble slightly from an ineffable and nameless someone. God has raised his son from the dead. God has quickened the flesh. God has conquered death. He has done this. He has conquered not merely in the realm of inwardness, in the realm of thought, but in the realm where we, the glory of the human mind notwithstanding, are most really ourselves in the actuality of this world, far from all mere thoughts and mere sentiments. And yet, might we not be tempted to ask, where is this resurrection power today? Now, don't get me wrong. I have experienced the fear with the scary stuff removed and the joy of the presence of God. I have seen God do the impossible. I have witnessed resurrection. I remember many years ago taking a group of middle school students to hand out subs to people experiencing homelessness in Toronto. And I'll never forget forget when we got to one man and he got so upset with me and he started using every cuss word in the book and he was so angry. And the youth who were by my side were suddenly like 20 yards behind me. And yet when I asked this man if I could pray for him, he allowed me to. And he sat on a park bench and he sobbed and he sobbed and he sobbed. He was so moved by the power of the living God. I have witnessed the power of the resurrection. But amidst the war in Ukraine and institutionalized racism and gun violence in our own streets and the rise of depression in our young, we are tempted to wonder where the resurrection power is today. The truth is, and I really don't have words to describe this other than to say that Jesus is happening to these places too. Sisters and brothers, the resurrection doesn't simply mean that we will die and someday we will be raised. It means this too, because Jesus has happened to death, but it means even more than this. In The Lord of the Rings, Samwise Ganji met Gandalf, whom he presumed to be dead, and he said this, Gandalf, I thought you were dead, but then I thought I was dead myself. Is everything sad going to come untrue? What's happened to the world? A great shadow has departed, said Gandalf. And then he laughed, and the sound was like music or like water in a parched land. And as he listened, the thought came to Sam that he had not heard laughter, the sound of pure merriment for days upon days without count. Resurrection is something like that. All sad things are indeed coming untrue. I want to quote Karl Rahner one more time in that length here. He says, Jesus' resurrection is like the first eruption of a volcano, which shows that God's fire already burns in the innermost depths of the earth, and that everything shall be brought to a holy glow in his light. He rose to show that this has already begun. The new creation has already started. The new power of a transfigured earth is already being formed from the world's innermost heart into which Christ descended by dying. Futility, sin, and death are already conquered in the innermost realm of all reality, 
and only the little while, which we call history A.D., is needed until what has actually already happened appears everywhere in glory and not only in the body of Jesus. He goes on, because he did not begin to heal, to save, and to transfigure the world by transfiguring the symptoms on the surface, but began rather at the innermost root. We suppose that nothing has happened to the essence beneath the superficial area, because the waters of grief and guilt still flow on the surface where we stand. We fancy that their source in the depths is not yet dried up. Because evil still carves new marks in the face of the earth, we conclude that in the deepest heart of reality, love is dead. But these are only appearances which we take for the reality of life. And then he goes on to say, Christ is risen because in death he conquered and redeemed forever the innermost center of all earthly existence. And having risen, he has kept this innermost center in his control and continues to preserve it. Christ is already amidst the poor things of the earth. He is still in all the tears as hidden joy and in every death as the life that conquers by seeming to die. He is in the beggar, to whom we give a coin as the secret rich reward that returns to the giver. He is in the miserable defeats of his servants as the victory that belongs to God alone. He is in our weakness as a strength that dares to let itself seem weak because it is invincible. He himself is even right in the midst of sin as the very mercy of everlasting life that is prepared to be patient to the end. He is present as the mysterious law and the innermost essence of all things, the law that triumphs and succeeds even when all order seems to be crumbling. He is with us like the light and air of day, which we do not notice, like the mysterious law of emotion that we do not grasp, because the segment of this motion that we ourselves experience is far too short for a formula to be adduced by us. But he is there. He is the heart of this earthly world and the mysterious seal of its eternal validity. Here the gospel today, friends, Jesus Christ is risen from the dead and everything sad is coming untrue. It is already happening because Jesus has happened to all things. This is the reality and the hope of the world. Believe this truth and welcome it into your heart today. And if you are having trouble believing this, then receive these words of Chrysologus. Pray, brothers and sisters, that the angel would descend now and roll away all the hardness of our hearts and open up our closed senses and declare to our minds that Christ has risen. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. May the stone on any of our hearts be rolled away today. Accept the truth and the reality of the resurrection. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.